Welcome to Mormon Visual Culture, a podcast presented by the Zion Art Society and hosted by me, Micah Christensen. In this podcast, we talk with artists, collectors, and scholars about artwork that has inspired them and shaped LDS culture. This week, we have an interview with Caitlin Connolly. She, uh, we give a lot of her biography in it, so I don't feel like I need to talk about it in the intro. But raised here in Utah, um, where we have the podcast, she has recently really come into her own, and you can see her work in almost every major venue where LDS art is seen. Um, her work is fresh. It feels like it's on the leading edge of the style and subject matter that is uh, really um, having an influence on the market today. Having a conversation with her was a delightful. I'm glad she came. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Caitlin Connolly. Welcome, Caitlin Connolly. We are very excited to have you here for Mormon Visual Culture. Hi. Um, <laughs> I want to start off with the. I give you a list of questions beforehand that I was going to go on, and I'm immediately going to go off script. <laughs> Very good. But I will get back to it. I promise. And I want to. I want to ask a question that is almost unanswerable, which is, what is going on in in LDS art right now? Mm. There seems like you you just were one of forty artists this was in the show, the certain women's exhibition. It was the first exhibition of LDS art dedicated exclusively to women, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not talking specifically about that. I'm talking about, it just seems like 10 years ago, if you wanted to buy LDS art, you were going to a kind of church vessel to buy it, mm. like a, mm -hmm. a, and, yep. and it was a particular kind of style and, and, uh, and genre of art, yeah. and you seem to be part of something that maybe wouldn't have existed 10 or 15 years ago. Hmm. Interesting. Am I? Do you, do you, am I wrong? Do you think I'm? Do you, do you think there's something going on that wasn't going on before? Well, I think art is always shifting and changing. Okay. You know? So I think if you're seeing a change, that makes sense. Um, I know what you're talking about, and I relate to it. I'm thinking about growing up. You know, we had like the gospel library right. of art. Right. right. It was always like in this in this electric <laughs> yeah. plastic PVC yes. blue case. It was the blue case. I was going to say the blue case, right? <laughs> yeah. And it had a little snap on it. Yeah. And it, you know, you buy it at the distribution center or wherever, and they say, "Here you go. Like, here is your capsule of art." And you're yeah. like, "Thank you for my capsule of art." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? So. Um, yeah, gosh, I don't know. Um, I think you you're kind of looking at things from you know more the probably curator, curatorial side than I am. Yeah. So I think your perspective is really interesting. But um, you know, I I think I I feel like I know this is true for me. I don't know if this is true for other people, but I feel like I feel the sense of like, okay, I'm tired of saying like, okay, thank you for my art, and just you know like. Someone serves you a peanut butter jelly sandwich. You're like, thank you. I'm full. Right. You're like, kind of like, I want to craft my own experience. Like I want to have a different experience. Um, so I, I gosh, I feel like that's part of it. I mean, another thing that comes to mind is I feel like in general, I don't know. I feel like maybe this is true more like overarching besides art within the LDS world that people are looking are a little more hungry for like spirituality than organization. What do you mean by that? That's such an interesting distinction. Spirituality yeah. versus an, a, a, an organized... Okay, I'm, I'm trying to think. There was a quote from the last conference, right? Where like, in general conference, where they say, like, being good at religion versus... what is? Do you remember that quote? I know what you're talking about, yeah. but I, I don't remember. I couldn't paraphrase it. So, you know, the point being like, are you are you doing what you're doing? Are you practicing religiously and spiritually because... Um, is he fact-checking? That would be awesome if he found it. <laughs> I'm looking at Eric. Eric. I'm like, is here. find that quote. He's, he's, Eric is the silent partner in all of these, these interviews, and he is at his computer making sure that we're right on. You know, but anyway, you know, are you practicing your spirit? Are you doing, because you're good at religion or because you are interested in, in progressing on a spiritual level? Yeah, th this says everything about where I, where I am right now, potentially. Yeah. So this may not be where you're going with it, but I was listening to, I, I've been, I've been reading a lot of Japanese Zen Buddhist koans. Oh, I love it, yeah. And koans are this belief that you can come to sudden enlightenment mm. um, through the understanding of, of, of one idea that yeah. kind of changes your life. Yeah. And there's this theme that's persistent in Zen Buddhism that mm. if you see the Buddha on the road, you should kill him. Hmm. And that sounds shocking. Like, mm -hmm. why would you kill 
the most revered religious figure in a particular religion. And, and the, the belief is that if you are worshiping the Buddha, you're not learning his lessons. Mm-hmm. That if you're focusing on the Buddha himself, then you're focusing on the religion and the organized part of it. Yeah. And you're not focusing on the results yes. that you should be getting from it. Rest. Which yes. is the distinction between loving the, the, the system versus... Yes loving what the system is supposed to be getting for you. Is that what you mean is the distinction between spirituality versus... Yeah, and I I love what you're saying too because with the whole dropping of visiting teaching and home teaching, right, and like moving to this ministering thing, I feel like it's this whole response to like the system is broken in a sense that there's no system that can give you that, right? There's no system that can give you a desire to minister to your brothers and sisters, right? That's something that has to be internal. It's between you and God. It's it's personal, right? Not a checklist. It's no not a checklist. No one's going to say, yeah. okay, on the count of three, be yeah. super righteous and do and have the right feelings. Absolutely. You know, so as far as like handing you this like blue plastic gospel library, it doesn't work anymore. Like that's a checklist, right? It's just like, here's your art. And people are like, I don't know if I really like resonate with that anymore. It's too systematic. It's too formulaic. And a lot of the art, um, I think, was done really technically well and things like that. And this this is way too overarching for it to be like a statement, period, the end. But um, a lot of it, I think, was just very much like it was an illustration, right? Like, here is an illustration of this idea. You can use it in your family home evening lesson. You can use it when you're teaching primary. It was just like check, check, check. You know, it was very simple. But it didn't speak, I feel like, to like the mortal condition. It didn't speak to spirituality. It didn't speak to the nature of like the spirit and the soul and the wrestle of what it means to be on earth, you know? And so while I think it served a beautiful purpose, I think people are now saying like, okay, great, thanks. And, you know, and I, I grew up with this, you know, I think most of the generation of people now that are saying I want something different are people that grew up on that gospel library and they're saying, but what else is there, you know, and what is art really, and what could it mean really? Um, so those are some of the first thoughts that come to my mind. Well, we're going to come back to these. I, okay. It's really, because this is, this is something I feel like a lot of us are thinking about right now is what is the practical use and purpose? Yeah. And practical may not be the right answer. What is the overarching, mm. you know, esoteric even use of these yeah. of these things well we like things to be practical don't we yeah, like we do. oh you my know, gosh it's like you got to be thrifty and you've got to be modest and you've got to you know like we live in a very like practical system but yet art has a certain impracticality to it and so i think it kind of like yeah. causes a little wrestle for us it, it reminds me of and i guess i, I do want to go deeper on this for just a second before i get to the more <laughs> to, to to get to your bio before we get in, get into your biography I um, I don't know if I've shared this before on the podcast or not, but I when I was living in London, the Book of Mormon musical was mm. very popular in mm-hmm. the UK. Mm-hmm. It was on every bus in London, every tube stop, and the church wanted to take advantage of that by promoting the church itself with the I Am a Mormon um, yeah, I remember PR that. campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and uh, one of I remember there was an article in the Sunday Times, which is the most read paper in the UK. Um, and it, uh, that, that the writer of the article said, I finally succumbed to it. I finally succumbed to the PR department of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> and I agreed to go on a week long tour of the church's facilities and people. Wow. I met with, uh, with everyone. And he said they were unfailingly cheerful and, and positive <laughs> and good people. And he said, my conclusion is the Mormons are the management, con- the corporate management consultants of the Christian world. Hmm. Interesting. And he meant it in a positive and a damning way, mm-hmm. which is the sense that these people have run a very good business. They've, they've categorized, <laughs> they've systematized, they've, yeah. they've figured out a way, which, you know, that, that speaks volumes for good and for ill. It's mm. the sense that we're super efficient. That's one reason we've been growing yes. as quickly as we have as an or, as a as a church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a reason why when you go from place to place to place, you understand that it's the same church wherever you go. That yeah. has its benefits. But when it comes to art, mm. the, it, it begs so this question of eventually can't, something stops working, right? Yeah, yeah. And how does art fit within a a system and should it or should it be what modern art was for a very long time, which is this yeah. this kind of enfant terrible within the system, which which job was to point out yeah. individuality within a system. Yeah. OK, interesting. And I think like, OK, well, so two things to what you said first, like I think I think that organization is super important. 
And I do think it's it eventually it's not enough, right? Mm. Like I think it's really important. I think eventually it's not enough, which I think is kind of what we're talking about. Eventually it's like, oh, this is great art, but hold on, what? Like, so and then also it makes me think about when I did my, I, you know, I studied art, which is like so awesome that I get to go to college and study art. It's so funny, and um, we'll get to that. <laughs> and so it just feels so like self indulgent, right? But so. Um, I think about all the classes I, I had to take to learn composition, to learn color theory, to learn. There was all kinds of things I had to learn. I remember one 3D class that like I wanted to strangle my teacher because I was so frustrated because she wanted to like put all these rules onto me about, well, why did you do this and why did you do that? And I was like, because it looks good. Lay off me, you know. Mm. And so and then I've heard in art, the practice of art is that you have to learn all the rules so you can break all the rules. Um, so I'm kind of thinking about. Gosh, and I just love this idea overall, like with my practice of art, is like this pull, this back and forth pull, you know, the pendulum kind of feeling of learning all the rules to break all the rules, you know, like having the organization and then letting go of, you know, saying set up this whole system for visiting teaching and home teaching for decades and saying, let's stop. You know, like this idea of we need to set up some kind of structure because what else do we do? Right. We're lost. Can't right? do everything by the spirit. Yeah. Like there needs to be some starting point. But then eventually things need to shift into this more open, internal, fluid position, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Let's let's this is these are big questions. Yeah. So far, so good. And, and I think we're going to hit some <laughs> as we go along. Okay. So let, let me ask more more um, a, a, a question about your biography. Where did okay. you grow up? I grew up in Salt Lake. Where in Salt Lake? Um, kind of the Sugar House area. Okay. I always like to brag that I went to East High because of High School Musical. Because <laughs> was High School Musical filmed it was. around the time you were there? Uh, after I left. After you left. Yeah. My husband and I both went to East. We met oh, there. We, we actually went to junior high together too. But we started dating in high school. Hmm. We were in band together. So we kind of had like a Troy Bolton and uh, I want to say her name was Gabriella. Can you fact check that for me? <laughs> so you were, you, your husband's a musician and yes. you're a musician. Yeah. What so, did you play? And so, do you yeah, still play? Um, uh, that's a funny question. So growing up, my family was very musical. Like my mom was a flute teacher and we did a lot of classical, like we all kind of started a, a an instrument, me and my brother, started an instrument when we were little. You know, no one five. is a casual flute teacher. That's a right, serious thing. Right. Yes, that's a good way to say it. Um, and so I grew up playing the flute. Uh, my brother played the violin. My brother played the cello. My brother played the piano. It sounds like you were part of a family where your mother was deliberately engineering a musical group. Was she? <laughs> I don't. Well, I'll have to ask her. <laughs> She's like, okay, you're going to be the, the baseline. You're I'm gonna not going to speak on her behalf. <laughs> but it was the kind of thing where, like, I remember, I think we were like, my main name was Maxfield. So the Maxfields were like very musical. Like, we would do musical numbers at church and So you even like had a that. rep, like as a family. I think so. And, and, and my dad was a good singer. So I remember this was, I, I thought this was so fun. Growing up, our stake put on um, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and it, they did like they went all out, like it was a big production. Hmm. And my dad was Joseph, so he he got. He the, must be very good. I think he has a great voice. He says he doesn't have the same that's, voice. That's a anymore, serious but. role. That's a role that sings. Yes. Almost the whole show. Yes. And and as a vocalist, you kind of are the show. If the Joseph's bad, the whole show's bad. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I thought he did great, but I mean, I was ten, so I'm a little biased, right? But. Um, yeah, and my mom played the flute in the orchestra, and we were all in it. So very much like a big family um, kind of thing. So I grew up very musical, even though later I shifted to art. And I have my flute on my shelf. I probably haven't pulled it out in like two years. You don't have to confess <laughs> any any uh, anything to us. This That's is fine. the point of this podcast is Caitlin tells all. That's right? right. So here's my biggest darkest secret. I don't play the flute anymore. But um, but I, I play the guitar. I sing. The most musical I am right now is I I love singing to my baby boys. I pull out the guitar. I sing to them. They love it. You've got boys. Two twin boys. How old are they? They are seven months old. I remember seeing pictures of you. Mm -hmm. And um, they're they're eleven months old. Oh, um, seven. Seven months old. Yeah. Wow, you're busy. Yes. You did not bring them. <laughs> I did not bring today. them. Oh my yeah, heavens! Yeah, my husband's home from tour, so he is. When he's home from tour, he's kind of like full time dad. So. So we should say what your husband your husband mm -hmm. does what. He plays guitar, sings vocals. Right now, he's played with a couple different groups. Right now, he's touring with the Killers. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. 
So he's been on tour. He's and and so you guys kind of you 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 switch back and forth in parenting. Yeah, you know when he's because right now it's a really busy touring season for him. So I'm yeah. very much like full time um, mom. And so when he's home, like both out of it fulfills so many different things. Mom just needs a break, right? Yeah. And also it's time for dad to be with the boys. So yeah. when he's home, I just kind of do basically as much and as as I want to. Right. You know, I just kind of know he's taken over. So. So you started in a musical family, and then you said yeah. at some point you switched to visual. When did that happen? How did that I show know. up? It's so interesting. Um, so, you know, people always say, like, when did you start drawing? And I'm like, when I, when I was little, right? Like, I honestly, I think it was one of the first things I remember doing that I was good at that I really liked. Just drawing. I love drawing. I just wanted to have a pencil and paper. I'm gonna make a um, I'm gonna make a Freudian jump here, okay. and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Okay. okay? If you grew up in a very strict musical family, mm. which I don't know how strict they were, yeah, was was uh, was and there you're, that's that's a kind of creative art, right? Uh, absolutely. Right. Did did drawing represent something that was somewhat stress free by comparison? It probably did. <laughs> You know, and I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't know for sure. <laughs> Who knows? But, but mean, it's it's just something it's that a, it's a fun thought, right? Yeah. No, I think practicing the flute, especially. I know, I know there are like jazz flutists out there, right? That wasn't my thing. I never got yeah. into the jazz flute playing. <laughs> but so I think of classical flute playing as being a little bit rigid. You know, yeah. it's like you have to know your rhythms and your notes. But but you know, I I think it could be freeform, but it wasn't for me. So I think, also I think. I think drawing fulfilled that introverted part of me. What I were you it, drawing in your earliest memories? What were they? Gosh, I don't know. Like, there's a couple things I remember. When I was when I was little, my mom, she likes to tell me the story about, you know, at church, she handed me a piece of paper to draw, and she asked me to draw a cat. And I drew, like, the back half of a cat, like, going off a of paper, and then, like, little footprints. And she just thought it was really funny because she's <laughs> like, I just thought you were going to draw a cat. But I had, like, this... You know, yeah, this, this little... conceptual idea from <laughs> yeah. the very beginning was, was like, a little bit of a twist. I was on all it. sneaky. I was like, "I'll draw you a cat in motion," you know. <laughs> anyway, but um, and then I remember there's I have little snapshots of things I just remember along the way. Like I remember when I figured out how to draw fabric that like moved, you know, hmm. or it might be a blanket with lines on it, and I liked watching the lines move between the curves of the fabric, things like that. That's or, a very abstract thing to get excited about. Yeah, you know. And I mean, all all yeah. art is abstract on some level. Even yeah. even the most figurative, yeah. literal art, you have to worry about values of light and dark and shape right. and right. and 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 con and and th those kinds of issues. Composition mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that the folds and material. I mean, my background, as you probably know, if you is is very academic yes. in, in in academic art. Yes, and I. It, it, from the Renaissance up until the end of the 19th century, there was an entire course dedicated to most academies just to folds and drapery. Yes, right. I've heard about that. Right, and which so, I would have loved <laughs> yeah. to be in that. Which is a super abstract idea. I mean, yes, technically, it it's really difficult. is. I mean, it twists your brain. It doesn't quite make sense, you know. But yet, you can follow it and turn it into this form. It's so cool. And most artists don't do it deliberately what is in front of them. Yeah. For drapery anyway, you do mm -hmm. it to draw the eye around in interesting ways. Yeah. You know, so when I think back to some of the things I really loved drawing, it was always this kind of play between I loved when I figured out shading, it blew my mind, right? Like I got mm. my first pack of pencils, you know, from 2H to 6B, and I was just like, what? This is insane. <laughs> I thought it was so cool, you know? And so when I figured out shading, I was just like in love. When I figured out contouring, line mm. work, things like that. And it's still really true in my art today where I always have this play between kind of a flat, linear il illustration thing and then also a like gradation and a more of a uh, realism. So I'm kind of always playing between this flatness and this shape. So I don't know. So I see these little bits of things that I liked all along and how they're still, that passion is still in me now. It's kind of fun to see. You went on to get a BFA at the mm -hmm. University of Utah. Yeah. But before you did that I mean to make the choice to get to be a major in art yeah is usually after it's a foregone conclusion that you're going to be doing this at what point did it become serious for you like I'm gonna do visual art way late for me I well I don't know I don't know what that means right it's subjective but I feel so honestly this is funny I kind of stopped doing art when I was like in fifth and sixth grade because <laughs> had an early following out with it because um I think I just got like 
I was really, I was both really competitive and I think also kind of low confidence. Mm. So I remember like I would get, do you remember reflections contest? Yes, I do okay. remember reflections contest. So I think I got like second place. So it was kind of place. grade by grade almost, yeah, right? right? So you would place and everything. I think I'd get like second place and I felt like I was like the worst in the world or something like that. So I didn't do art in hardly in junior high and high school. I kind of just stopped. And even though I think it was this huge part of me I like didn't even identify with it it was strange I really went away from it then I went to college and I switched majors multiple times for like three years what were you deciding between oh everything I just anything everything um at the final landing point was communications and it was really just because it was a cop-out it was like let's just get out of here you know yeah got enough credits I could qualify for this so I had one class left that I needed to take in um the fine arts like generals and so I looked at the list and I could take a non-major drawing class. And I looked at that. Up to this point, I had taken no art classes in college. And I looked at that and I just thought, well, that'll be an easy A, which is funny to me now to think because I was pulling like at best C's like in all these other classes I was taking, right? Like I wasn't top of my class anywhere. And I look at that and just think, well, that'll be easy. You know, and I'm like, that should have been my first clue that there's something <laughs> that actually felt, do you know what I mean? Because it was easy for you. It was easy for it meant me. meant that, that it's, it's, it's a natural thing for you yes. to be doing. Yeah. So anyway, so I took that class and then kind of like the rest was history. Like I got there, I, I remember just like walking into the art building and, and just feeling so like energized and also at home. Like, what was it? What was it about the U that made you feel that way? Does the U have a reputation for a particular kind of department? You know, not not necessarily. If anything, I'd say they're pretty eclectic. Um, I had a lot of friends at that point that were going to BYU. BYU, as you probably know, I feel like it's it's hard to get into, right? Like yeah. it's really competitive to get into BYU, and therefore a lot of their programs, departments, are really competitive. So I had a few friends doing the art program at BYU, and they were doing the studio versus the illustration. Because BYU is hotly divided between these two, yeah, right? Yes. And, <clears throat> and the U does I felt not have like, that. No. And I felt like BYU would have been the superior school to the U of U because I think it was more competitive. They seem to have more of a curated thing of like, this is what we offer the students. This is kind of more of what we turn you into. Where my experience at the U of U was it was very open. I felt like there was a diverse amount of professors and I just got to learn from everybody and just do my own thing. You could kind of pick and choose what you wanted yes. to have. It was also kind of low pressure. Like I remember at BYU, they had to, there was so much pressure around their final show. And maybe that's just the way they talked about it, but it was this heavy, heavy thing where I didn't even have to do a final show. The funny thing is that I chose to do my own final show. It like wasn't required, but I was just like, I, I have to do this. I don't know why I felt like that. It seems like but, there's a theme in the way you're talking about things that there, you are a very driven person. Yeah. I and am. so, so like the, you doing a final show yeah. is just, you're going to do it whether or not the school requires it. What That's did that right. final show look like? Um, figures and I am like, totally different but at the same time totally the same to what i'm doing now a lot of women a lot of mothers children were you trying to show off a broad arsenal of techniques were you doing no. different kinds of of media what, what i was what trying was to do it was i was trying to make it more of a a uniform show so it was all figures and women there was a couple like yeah, women women and mothers mostly. So you alluded to this before when you talked about a 3D professor saying to you, this is, you know, explain to me why this is done. It has to be done this way. Yeah. And there there are two theories of art that even in my background, academic yeah. circles, was, was, was a real debate. And it yeah. was, do you teach rules so that people can have a foundation mm -hmm. and then pick and choose what they want to do after that? Yeah. Or do you not teach rules because <laughs> teaching rules... Um, puts out, as one artist, uh, Soroya, used to say, it puts out the creative flame. Yeah. And it, 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 it makes people too uniform mm -hmm. by teaching them rules. And so what you should do is let them figure out who they are and then teach them rules later. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if those, that, that's, that's two alternatives, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a third that you're thinking of in your head, but is there a way that, it, that you would describe the you and what you would prefer? Yeah, I see. Well, I think the answer is yes, right? I think that most artists in their practice, if, if they're doing it for a long period of time, it's all of the above, right? Yeah. You start out with some rules, no matter what they are. I mean, what you've heard something growing up, right? Like, this is how you use a paintbrush, or this is the color blue. I'm like, you name it, there's some foundational rule. And then eventually you let go of it. And then, and for me right now in my practice, I know that it's like all, 
I'll, I'll play and I'll play and play. And then I think I need some more structure. And so then I go take a workshop and then I go do something. And then I, and then I don't do classes for a period of months or a year or something. Are there things you're skeptical about when you, cause you were saying, you know, it's kind of indulgent to go get an, a BFA. <laughs> Um, are you now, when you look back on it, what do you think was good that came out of it and what are you still skeptical about? Okay. Well, in the same, let's see it. Hopefully this answers your question, but in the same way of the, the rule breaking, I remember one thing that just blew my freaking mind was one of the first in that non-major drawing class I had, he did this fun activity where he put a, it was kind of a, a crushed can on a table and he gave us a bunch of sheets of paper and I think it was a charcoal stick. And we were supposed to draw the can. And um, let me think about how this started. I think we worked backwards where at first we had 10 minutes to draw it. And then we had seven minutes to draw it. And then we had five minutes to draw it. And we had two minutes to draw it. And we had one minute to draw it. Mm-hmm. And when we looked at all of them later, all of our favorite ones were like either the one or two minute drawing. Like, um, so I remember these experiences of being in the art program where I think this was probably just my own rigidity of my person. I remember, and especially elementary school, this is what it, what it feels like. I don't know how you teach anything different. Speaking of teaching rules, but you tell the kids to draw a vase with flowers in it. Right. And the person that renders it the best is the best artist. Right. And so it blew my mind that we would take all these drawings and we put it up and say, what do you like? And we'd point to these ones that I would have thought, you know, this, I was probably 21 at this point. And still at this time in my mind, I would have looked at them and thought that's a bad drawing. You know, that's a really bad drawing. But we, you know, my teacher would start to say, but look at the looseness of the stroke and it feels so expressive. And somehow you, you caught the, the feeling of that object, you know, in less than a minute. And do you know what I mean? I think the final drawings were actually like 10 seconds or something funny like that. But anyway, um, so that, how, that was so hard for me to fathom that such a bad drawing could be so good. Do you know what I mean? Like that really, that really <laughs> both like bothered and excited me in such a, a f- crazy way. Like I was just like, I don't get this, but I love it, but I'm frustrated. But yeah, so that was kind of my first experience. And I want to say bad art in the sense of more, um, say express, you know, expressionism or um, abstract or, you know, things like that, where before I didn't, I didn't have understanding to that. I'd go into a museum and I'd look at an abstract painting and say, I don't get it. I don't know that. I don't get it. I don't relate to it. And now I, now I do, you know, but mm. that was the, really the first time where I thought, oh, there's was that a key moment in breaking? Yeah. That's a koan. That's sun enlightenment right there. All right. That's, that's, that's a Zen moment. Ah. <laughs> the, the question, this, this, uh, this, I think is a lot of people haven't experienced that. I, I think yeah. that if you are, when we're talking about religious art mm-hmm. in general, which yeah. is the theme of this podcast, but it doesn't necessarily have to define you as being, you know, just mm-hmm. strictly a religious artist. Mm-hmm. But religious art is one of the last bastions of truly conservative, mm. um, figurative art. Mm. And to be um, abstract or modernist within religious art is I think always going to be something that is a minority mm. and probably and a good minority, yeah. right? But I think a lot of the audience who's used to religious art has a hard time with more abstraction. And I, and I, and I, one of the things I, I was thinking of while you were talking was this notion of you're, you, you trained as a, as a, as a flute player yeah, <laughs> and you probably wouldn't say, to somebody who just picked up a flute and started doing something super expressive. Wow, that was really good and interesting. Yeah. You would only say that after they had practiced a lot and then developed right. looseness away from the very strict. I mean, let's say they're doing the well-tempered clavier by Bach or something like sure. that, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, "You know what? Technically that was a that was that was the right notes for that that yeah. that Bach." But it had no feeling whatsoever. Now right. you add the feeling in. Right. And it seems like that expressive drawing goes the other way. And I kind of wonder in your head, mm-hmm. is that, is it almost, there are a lot of people who are traditionalists who think you, you have to learn how to do that vase of flowers or that can. Yeah perfectly and then you can choose to be loose right, right. and expressive mm-hmm. and what you're saying to them would be not would, would be counter um counterintuitive but it's a really important great 
concept, which is, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not the accuracy first. Yeah. It's, it's the expressiveness first. Is that, is that, is that something, am I, am I, am I getting that concept you a know, little bit? You know, at least that's where I am on my pendulum right now. Interesting. Because you know? I think I grew up maybe feeling so much more rigid about it that it yeah. feels so freeing to say, oh, sure, that's a te- technical painting. Like, um, in a sense, it feels like, congratulations, maybe anyone can learn that. Although that's, that's probably, that's probably a little too, you know, I don't know if that's totally true. But it feels kind of formulaic, but when, when I feel that expressiveness, yeah, it, f- it has so much soul to it that I think feels almost harder to achieve. But I think they both educate each other so strongly. I don't think you can ever stay in one spot forever. Yeah. You know, I think you have to keep moving. Um, I think it's a really useful um, perspective to hear and, yeah. and to talk about. I'm, I'm not one of those those people who likes to say this is good art this is bad art who yeah, likes to draw right. battle lines between this is acceptable and unacceptable i think generally if you are expressing yourself and doing it in a deep way yeah. and you're you're and you're hitting the target you're aiming at yeah yeah that's what matters right. it doesn't matter necessarily right. that you're comparing it that's to right. to the something rest else can right go. the rest it it everything starts to become of not a consequence you know, once once you're just expressing the way you want to, you know, and I think I think that when you're a really good of piece of artwork, I think can actually be very forgiving because hmm. um, you can try to get everything perfectly right. And I don't think that that makes it better or good. Let's let's talk about process then. I want to okay. jump ahead and I want to talk okay. about your process. OK, so let's go soup to nuts. OK, right. From you working on a piece. You have talked about in in other forms that I've I've read or heard you talk about um, having a sketchbook. Yeah, is that where your ideas start? And how often do you? Yeah. What does your sketchbook look like? If you were to if um, you were to like bring out your sketchbook, what would I? I see? can pull it out right now. It's always with go me. ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, my sketchbook. It's always with you. It is always with me. Okay. Yeah, that's important. In fact, <laughs> my latest diaper bag when I got it off Amazon and it came in the mail, I had this. What did you say the Zen moment is called? A koan. I had one of those because <laughs> the front pocket was the exact size of my sketchbook. And I was really? like, it's meant to this be. Is, this is exactly this is what needs to happen. <laughs> I was like, this is my diaper bag, you know? <laughs> so it's a good <laughs> moment. Um, so, you know, I really work both ways. Um, a couple of years ago, I started writing a lot, and that really helped my artwork. Like, it helped, I guess I should say it helped me, right? So I'm kind of going back and forth between the process of drawing and writing, drawing and writing, drawing and what writing. What are you writing? Um, not anything? that you, not that, so just anything? Yeah, I usually do. So there's a book called... Um, the artists, um, well, why is it leaving my head right now? Um, artist way, the artist way. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Pa- a spiritual pathway to higher creativity. Yeah. It's been around for a while, but it's a great book. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. It's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I did that a couple of years ago and loved it. I, what I, was it about at the guy? Um, so it's by Julia Cameron. It's, and it's very much this kind of Zen. It's honestly very, very spiritual. Um, you know, it's not, Mormon it's just spiritual it's beautiful and um trying to think if I can summarize like but I'll say the one thing I mean if any artists are listening to this and are looking for like I need you know they need to start their engine more like just do that you know but anyway um the one thing that was amazing from it is she has you do they're called morning pages and so what she encourages you is every day I think she says to do them in the morning I'm trying to remember but I always did them in the morning um, to write three full pages free form every mm. single day. And she said, even if you don't know what to write, you say, I don't know what to write, I don't know what to write, I don't know what to write for three pages. Wow. <laughs> and so um, what I loved about it is it really, I felt like I kind of had this little vault inside my head and with a lock, and I feel like it just kind of helped me figure out how to open up that vault and just kind of let things be more fluid and more open. And a lot of times if I feel very frustrated emotionally, if I can just start writing, it just, you know. So a lot of times I write, and then as I'm writing, I think, oh, this is what's going on for me. And then a lot of times that inspires me to think I want to I wanna draw about it. How do and you balance writing when you've got 
new twin boys. Yeah, I know. So and and doing doing that in the morning. Do you do, have you been able to? Keep I don't that do up my morning or, pages anymore. Are you fairly forgiving of yourself? Oh like, yeah, because you have to be. Oh yeah, you have right? to be absolutely. I did my morning pages. I'd say religiously for months, but this has been probably maybe three years now, four or five. I don't do them religiously anymore. But I'll say when I open up my book to write, I can go there very quickly. Like, hmm. um, the practice really paid off. Muscle memory's still yeah. there. Yeah, like, I, I I, can get into that space a lot easier and quicker than I used to. So, and then likewise, sometimes I just pull up my sketchbook and I just open up to a page and I just draw something and I love it, <laughs> you know? And so, and a lot of times when I write, I come up with titles. Um, and then sometimes I draw something and I think, what do I title this? And I'll be wrestling with a title for it for three years, you know? So you know, the words and the titles and the pictures all kind of, you know, again, it's, they're both important and who knows which one's going to come first. I heard this interview with, um, the edge from, from you too. Yeah. And he said that when they were coming together, when they would come together as a band, usually Bono will show up and he'll just sing gibberish and they'll figure out the music first and then <clears throat> the words later. Yeah. And some people are the, complete opposite they've got yeah. all the words yeah and then they then they show up and they they put music to it yeah and so it sounds like when you're working on something you're working in a sketchbook and it could come from yes. anywhere yes. but it's 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 a concept that yeah. you're 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 narrowing down at what point do you decide this needs to go into the next form. into the next form and yeah. the next form could be a lot of things because you've done paintings you've yeah. done um books that are a combination of different media mm -hmm. and you've done um etchings as well right mm -hmm. so so how do you decide how do you how do you move to the next part and what's the most common stage yeah i mean the most common thing when we do paintings but then i've done i've you know i've done everything you know just mixed media sculpture relief prints just yeah everything. you've done yeah sculpture yeah too, one bronzes. of my the things i played with the most recently that was super fun was cyanotypes where but it was really a mixed media cyanotype because i did my own drawing and then i did a um i did a collage a collage in um photoshop and i put it all together i made my own photo negative and then i exposed it in the sun it was such an interesting process it was really cool so this sounds like a very dealer type question to ask okay. i'm gonna ask it anyway which is when you do make that leap from conception yeah. to application yeah. of the idea and, mm -hmm. and you know putting putting flesh and bones on it are you thinking you know what um this is something that somebody can consume in this way. They can put it above their mantelpiece. Yeah, they can no. put it here. You don't you don't think <laughs> no. in those terms. No, I don't. But um I just have to do what feels right. I just do what feels right. And I try to be in, kind of in the vein of um what you said about what the edge said, but like not to diss on the edge because he's the edge. But like in the vein <laughs> I don't know him personally, so go ahead. I don't yeah, care. Yeah. And and my feeling is he can take it. He's doing pretty yeah, well. He's doing fine. <laughs> But like, and I don't even know if this is what you were saying or what he was saying, you know, so whatever. But, um, you know, I think if anything becomes too um, formulaic, that's a big red fl flag to me. You know, so even like I love listening to the, the Song Exploder podcast, too. Okay. Uh, my husband got me started on that one. And, you know, there was a there was this uh, one where um, Rivers Cuomo was talking from Weezer about um, how he does his songwriting and he puts all of his lyrics in. Like, he, it's so, it's the most amusing thing. Like, you have to listen to it. It's so funny. He puts all of these lyric ideas in a spreadsheet. This is so awesome. And he, like, um, organizes his spreadsheet by, like, how many words and syllables it is. And then he, like, comes up with musical ideas. And then he pulls from, like, if he needs this many syllables, he pulls from this thing. Holy cow. <laughs> I know. Isn't that? It is so, and I feel it is like such a nerdy way so to. So nerdy. Like, that is the Cardigan Weezer version yeah, of, exactly. like, him. Isn't that so good? <laughs> so and I feel like it totally works because it's Weezer, right? Like, it's like, yeah of course that works with his Weezer but also I just feel like for me that just wouldn't work you know and again it feels kind of like a red flag to me because it's just like nothing can be that rigid right mm. everything needs to be loose so I feel like one thing I'm always challenging myself with is just to say like let's keep it fresh you know I think painting does become my kind of staple um maybe we'll see I don't know where I kind of keep coming back to that yeah. but then I say does it need to be big or does it need to be small does it need to be painted or does it need to be drawn does it like I just kind of like I look at my drawing and I ask it questions <laughs> do you want to be in three dimensions you know and all the sculptures that I've done it's because I've tried it a lot of times in three dimensions and it straight up didn't work you know or the, the the last one I saw and as soon as I did the sketch I just knew oh this this needs to be in 3d and so it's kind of like 
the initial conception, the title, the drawing, whatever, it's just, it's like, <laughs> it's like I look at it and say, hi, nice to meet you. And then it's like, but it's just the beginning, you know, and it needs to go somewhere so much more than that. But I mean, the cool thing is it totally exists. You know, like once I sketch it, I look at it, I'm like, wow, you exist. This is beautiful. Interesting. What happens next? You there know? was, there was an, uh, a conversation that I was I was once in, this is going to sound like super name droppy. I don't mean it to be this way. <laughs> Let's hear it. But um, he, was, he was the chairman of Sotheby's in, okay. in London, Lord Mark Poltimore. Oh, cool. Lord <laughs> super name droppy, right? <laughs> Eric's and, even laughing. And he was talking if about this pro- a, If you're catching a third right? party laughing, that's because... <laughs> so, so he happened to know this. Uh, he There was this person who was trying to offer him some Monets okay. that were... They were out of, uh, they, they, they were atypical Monet's, but they were definitely documented as being Monet's. And he said this thing that stuck with me. He said that that 70 to 80% of an artist's output resembles itself. Oh, and cool. 20 to 30% is experimental and doesn't. Cool. And he said the problem is with the 20 to 30%, but it's also the most exciting and interesting part of a work yeah, of an artist's right, output, right? Right, yeah. And, and when you hear that, you kind of think, okay, that's, that's Monet. You can say that about Monet and you can look back and you can think about his, I don't know what he did, two to 3,000 paintings in his lifetime. Sure. And, you can, and you can kind of categorize it that way. But it does, it does make me wonder, like as an artist, if artists are, are thinking about what is my legacy, what is my style, what is my, my thing and how much that influences. So if you are somebody like you who... You're, you're very experimental and it's super freeing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and you're always expanding your arsenal of, of the things you can do and what you're working in. It seems to be that there's a theme that, that gets, that's, that's consistent across all of your work. Thematically, you're interested in certain subjects mm-hmm. that are consistent along all, all the media you're working in. But and you said painting may be your thing in the end. You don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's Do you feel like you're in one exciting. of those experimental stages where you just you don't necessarily know if well, you're in your twenty or thirty percent or if I you're think, in your I think it's you know, I think that's the thing that the curator gets to choose, right? And I think it's important me for me to just not even think about it. Yeah, I think I think it's important for you to not think about yeah. it too. I don't bring it up because I want you to yeah, think about it. No, right? I think you just mess with my psyche. Like I think that, <clears throat> Oh no, no I so, I, no. I please forget <laughs> I ever I, I ever brought it up. But, no, it, but no, no. it does I, but I also feel like twenty to Thirty percent being experimental seems a little um, um, not very generous. Like I, I, I would think that I think it would be more than that. But I, that's an interesting. I mean, who knows? I guess it probably depends on the artist. But don't you think that's the rocket fuel? That twenty to thirty percent. Let's just oh, go yeah. with that number for now. Oh, it yeah. could be fifty for some artists. It could be ten or five for others. Yeah, right? whatever it is. But that's the thing that that folds into whatever you're doing. New. Yeah. New stuff, right? Yeah. And, know, and for you, it seems like you're you're really in a place where you're open, maybe more than a lot of artists are, yeah. to the form of expression. Well, and I feel like else. if I'm always putting a canvas back on my easel, eventually I'm just going to start to hate it. Huh. And, and the paintings are going to get stale. So when I move away from the easel and I do other things, I love using my hands, right? I My my shop is set up in, in two parts. I built this big dividing wall so that one side is my wood shop and the other side is my painting so really one's a little more dust free and one's yeah um yeah you just you just moved recently right yeah i mean it's been a few years but yeah i um i moved do you know the artist santiago michelek no okay i'll show you his stuff he's amazing but anyway so he had built this art studio and then they were going to move and so we got to move into there we bought their house and we got the studio it was amazing interesting so anyway, so we, um, yeah, we moved in there. So I, you of, literally picked the house because oh, of yeah. this function. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> Santiago still makes fun of me because I came up to the studio first cause it's kind of in the back anyway. So I came to the studio first and I walked in and I like was blown away. I was blown away. And I just said like, kind of like jokingly, but not at all. I just said, great, we'll take it. And he laughed and he goes, would you like to see the house? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> and so, so why do you have, what do you do in your wood shop? So yeah, so I mean, I love you. You know, I used to build all my old panels. It just started to take too too much time. But my painting process, a lot of times I paint and I sand it down. I paint and I sand it down. So it's a very subtractive additive process. I build it up, I pull it away. I build it up, I pull it away. But um, you know. You're working in oil or acrylic? Oil. Okay. Yeah. So even when I, um, 
you know, I'm doing sculpture, I'm, I'm building, I'm cutting up my wood, I'm building armatures, I'm, you know, so being able to like move into my wood shop and pull out a sander or like chop up the wood the way I want it or, you know, if I do, like sometimes impulsively I'm just like, I want to paint this and I want to paint this now, so I'll build my own panel really quick, you know. So having the flexibility to go 3D, to get a little bit more aggressive, to sand things, to cut things, to, um, you know, or like... <sighs> just whatever it is to move my body in different stations around my studio, you know, with a sander, with a pencil, with a paper, sitting, standing, moving, it, it feels so inspiring. Mm. If I were to stay in one location, I would just, I would hate it. <laughs> you has, know? has, uh, has having kids thrown a wrench into your, your uh, routine? No, surprisingly. I mean, yes. And I mean, yes, no, I feel like, First of all, I'll say, like, babies are super hard. <laughs> Kudos to every mom everywhere. <laughs> so, Amen. Yeah, so um, one of my babies was really colicky. That was really hard. He was just screaming and crying all the time. You know, it was kind of nice having twins because I was like, you know what? This one's on you, man. Like, I'm doing the same thing for both of you, and you're just having a really hard time. You know, That's that a was, great experiment. It was kind of freeing. Great scientific kind of freeing. control group, right? You know, so, but um, more so than I think ever before, because art was always kind of an escape for me, but more so than ever before, like, when you have a baby that's screaming in your ear all day, every day, eventually you, you break, right? So that's when I started hiring more childcare. I was like, I need help. Like, I can't do this all on my own. Yeah. So I hired more childcare, and then I could go out to my studio, and, like, it was the most freeing thing where I was like, I don't know what to do for you, child, that's screaming, and that's so frustrating and for me. But I can go out to my studio, and I can either turn up my music as loud as I want or have no music, or I can sand, or I can just do whatever, and I can be very physically aggressive in a different way than how I mother mm. and it was so freeing and so I think if anything I feel now that I've had kids I feel like my what I've learned is more complimentary like I get to be nurturing and be caring with these children I get to exercise certain skills in that area in that vein but then I get to use all these other skills in a really different complimentary way and it makes me feel very like whole and complete um, it's very nice. So I told you before we started the interview that I had two questions that I hadn't laid out for you beforehand and one of them was the question about about what's going on in the Mormon art market. And this yeah. is the second one. Okay. And the second one is something that, uh, last night I was reading an article by Michael Sh um, Chabon, who mm -hmm. is a novelist, Pulitzer Prize winning novelist. And he wrote this article of that, that was titled, Should, Should Artists Have Kits? Mm -hmm. And he said that when he first won his Pulitzer Prize back in, I think it was 2001, he was, he was at the home of a famous writer. I think it was Norman Mailer. Mm. And, Norman, and, and this famous artist came up to him and said, you're doing good, kid, basically. And he said, whatever, this like kind of mentor moment. He said, let me just give you one piece of advice. Don't have kids. It'll ruin your art. Oh, sad. And, <laughs> and Chabon went on and he said, he said, look, um, I get what he's saying with that. Mm. He said, I decided to have kids anyway. Mm. But there's this notion as a writer and as an artist that having a family saps the creative juices. Right. It, it ties you down. Man or woman, it ties you down. And it, it, I, I started having this, I've been having this conversation, I think, with a lot of artists and writers or people of any level of who are trying to reach, achieve pro, um, professional excellence yeah. who are LDS. And the yeah. question is, it's not just having a family, yeah. but it's also being a member of the church, which which requires a, an enormous amount of attention. Yeah. And art requires a certain amount of not just time, but like mind share. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. Yes. And I guess so if I had to narrow this down to a question, it's 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 that you just had twins. Yeah. Your husband is a musician. <laughs> Both of you have got these 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 cre which to be excellent and both of you are doing well it seems like it seems like you're both thriving mm. amid this this kind of impossible um environment of you're and you're probably competing against a lot of people professionally who don't have kids who don't have <laughs> other obligations like church callings and things like that and and my question is um you know what do you think about that idea of being creative and what it takes to be creative, but also to have a balanced, can we balance this yes. such a, a hard word? No, I get it. I hear it. 
But it's something I think a lot about. I, have you thought yeah. about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And how do you tackle it? I mean, do you, first of all, do you think it's a legitimate question to be asking that this artist, if, if somebody came to you and said, let me give you some advice, Caitlin. Yeah. <laughs> Don't have kids. Don't have kids. <laughs> It'll ruin your art. Oh, man. Gosh, there's so many facets to everything you just said, and I'm sure we could talk about this forever. Um, it's something I put a lot of thought into. I mean, also, it's interesting because my husband and I, we had infertility for years. Mm. So we conceived our twin boys through doing um, the in vitro process. Mm. And so not only did we say we are going to have kids, we said we're going to pay this much to have kids and we're going to do it on this day at this time and with this doctor. And it was a very methodical decision. You yeah. Know? So, um, but I, I also feel like the years I had before bearing children were also very crucial. So um, I remember thinking, and I don't know if this was just a spiritual prompting for myself or, I mean, probably was, but I remember thinking early on when I was married that um, when I was interested in art, I thought, you know, if I could just do X, Y, and Z, I could get my art career to a certain point that it could, like I could get the engine running more, like build a car that could potentially run pretty well once I had kids Interesting. like I had this feeling like if I could get myself to a certain point then I think this could keep going because yeah. I think the early years are really um, frustrating when you're trying to figure out a certain creative pursuit because you're wrestling with so many things so I feel like I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and I'm still always wrestling but I do feel like there was a certain peak that I got over um, where now it's been easier. So I feel, so I feel like, okay, my answer is yes, absolutely have kids. And I also feel like I wouldn't be like sharing my story completely if I didn't say, you know, there was a lot of years where I didn't have kids and where I was able to put in a lot of hours. Um, and I was able to be very free creatively without that responsibility of children, you know? Mm. But then at the same time, I'll say, you know, it's really interesting because our experience, my husband and I, and we are very, we're very much a team. Like we are, we are team players. Like we are in it together. Yeah. And, um, but I will say both of our careers, I think have gotten more exciting and more fulfilling and better, more colorful, just completely saturated, if you will, ever since I got pregnant. Interesting. It's kind of like when it rains, it pours. Um, and if you want something done, give it to a busy woman. That kind of idea. Yeah. Like now and that you're, you're, are you, you're, you're. I, I also feel blessed. I feel blessings. Like I know, I, I don't know. I'm, everyone has a really different experience. One thing I've really learned through, like, cause I've done a lot with painting with women and children and infertility and fertility and things like that. It's just been something I've thought a lot about. And one thing I've learned for sure is no woman has the same path and no, and man, I'm sure too. But the idea of having children, not having children, when you have children, um, having them too soon, too late, not at all, too many, whatever it is, every experience is so different. But I will say for me um, that I felt blessings when I had children. So, Do you think it's going to change your art? It's been seven months plus pregnancy. <laughs> you know, when I was pregnant, it kind of like stressed me out a little. Everyone came up to me and said, your art is going to be, you know, even better because of this. Like, this is going to change you. This is going to. And I was just like, or not. Like, I'm yeah. still Caitlin. Bless like, their hearts. Everybody wants to be yeah, like. Yeah. You know, have ideas. <laughs> I was just like, maybe, but maybe not, you know, like, but I will say it, I think it already has and it will, I think it'll keep changing me. And I will also say, I'm like, blessings, having babies, it has been the straight up hardest, most trying time of period of my life yet to mm. this date. You know, they're seven months old. It has been the hardest seven months I've ever had in my life. Hmm. So, you know, I'm like, preach, whatever, have kids, but just be ready for extra blessings and extra trials. I think it's everything's more of an extreme. Now, I I went through your your website and went through your catalog, and I was very I was I don't know if I'd say very familiar because it seems like right now we're at this <laughs> Caitlin Connolly moment. Can I okay. say that? All I don't know right. if you're going to claim that, but I'm going to claim it. Well, there we go. It seems um, you know, your 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 work. I see I seem to see it in major shows. Um, uh, it's it's on the covers of, of books like Nyland McBain's book yeah. that came out, and and which and and it just seems like. Your your work is really resonating with a lot of people mm -hmm. right now, and as I was going back through the back catalog that you've put on the site, mm -hmm. um, I noticed that that there seemed to be and correct me if I'm wrong a theme of they, they first of all they seem very personal mm -hmm. right focused on on they're all, they're almost always figural and they and there's some really abstract works but it seems like focused on um, 
on women, on men, on women and men together, and then increasingly more about families. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is that accurate? What, what are you exploring? What if I if you had to say, <laughs> this is what, this is what Caitlin Connolly is about right now, <laughs> and this is the theme I've been addressing for a while, or has it changed? What is what is yeah. what, what is it that you're working through in your art on a on a personal level? It's just my it's my own my relationship with myself. Yeah. You know? um, I think my personal like I guess mission, as it were, with my art is it's I would say it's both very selfish and very selfless. Like first, uh, my goal is to connect with um, God, with myself, and also connect with others. And then the second part, so it's really just internal. And it's a lot of times it's me working through my own demons, my own fears, my own, just like the mortal experience basically, right? Mm. And then finding, trying to find peace, trying to find truth and peace, right? And then after that, I let go and I just surrender it and I just put it out there. And then to have people say like, I like this, I resonate with this, this is meaningful to me, you know, just you know, the different ways that people commun- communicate with me with that is so special. You know? Do you find that, that there is, so you're sharing something that's very intimate and personal yeah. with people when you put out a work of art and sometimes maybe they don't know always how personal yeah. and mm-hmm. intimate it is. Cause yeah. there's probably, and, and I guess, they, I mean, that is a question of itself before I ask the other question yeah. is how descriptive are you when you put a work out? Let's say that you've got something going in a museum show. Yeah. Do you, give it a very clear concept and then ex- then lay out in depth what it's all about or do you not say anything yeah. what what what's your what's your what's your pre- preference my preference i i feel a little torn but i usually like to just not say anything i like to i like to not give it a i like to not give it a description with a period right um my favorite experience is if there's some kind of format where people can give a couple of descriptions because I go into it and even when I start the painting, it might mean something to me. And when I finish it, it might mean something else, you know? So that question of what does this mean? I feel like is just toxic, right? It's like, who right. knows? Who cares? What does it mean to you? You know? So I love multiple interpretations. I love that. So even though sometimes I do have a really clear thing and I feel like it makes it stronger if I share it, but I'm also hesitant to share it. So why are you hesitant? Because I don't want to put a stamp on it. Because I feel like if I say, this is what it means to me, then everyone goes, this is what it means. And then they just check out. Where I'm like, hey, I'm asking you to show up. <laughs> you, you know? Do you, like, you, you tell often, me what you think it means. How often do you have experiences where you're talking with people about their interpretations of your work? Often. And and in your experience, is there is there a gap between what your intent was and how they take it? that's big or small or is it is is it all over the map both i do think some paintings are probably a little bit more literal where it's kind of like oh yeah we all get this we're all on the same page but often people surprise me they say something i'm like i did not even see that that's fantastic and sometimes i think i paint something that looks pretty straightforward and then someone says something and i'm like catches me totally off guard i'm like you're kidding wow i would have never never thought that you know Hmm. and i i think that's i think that's what i love about art you know is that it can have that ability to grow and change. And I think it's interesting, even who knows, you might look at a painting later, mine or somebody else's in a couple of decades, and it's going to have a totally different meaning, you know, because everything we have right now is is in context of our culture, our, you know, 2018 and, you know, political, social, whatever's going on. It's just how we understand things. We... This this podcast is titled Mormon Visual Culture. Yeah. But most of the artists that I that that I interview have an audience that is not just LDS. It's yeah. often well beyond that. Is your where is your audience principally LDS? Is it outside of that? When when you when you look at the people who are reacting and responding to your art, how is there a is there a profile yeah. of someone who is? I, I do think it's diverse, which is nice. I would say the overarching theme is I think a lot of times it's people that have a di- desire to feel more spirituality. Hmm. And I think sometimes <laughs> I think sometimes that is Mormons and sometimes it's not Mormons. Interesting. <laughs> I think there's some Mormons that aren't actually interested in that. But um, so I, I, I think it's been cool to feel like I've, I've gotten emails from people in different countries and different 
religions that talk about how they identify with it, and that's really special to me. I've gotten a lot of emails from people that no longer feel at home in the Mormon church that talk about what it means to them, and that's really special to me. I have a lot of people that love their relationship with the Mormon church, and they email me, and that's really special to me too. You know, So um, I think for me it's really neat to see this common thread. For me, it, it reminds me that we're all so similar. You know, for me, it makes that gap feel so small um, that, you know, deep down, we're all um, vulnerable human beings seeking Mm -hmm. for love and connection and clarity and peace, you know. And so, like, if something that I make has the ability to, like, cross over all of those those groups of people, people, and it just, the Venn diagram gets really small, right? In the middle, it's just like people like looking for truth, right? And if that is helpful there, then I just feel so um, privileged. Like it feels like such Hmm. an honor. What are you working on right now? Um, A couple of things. Um, One painting that I'm trying to kind of wrap up that I'm really excited about is it's called Women Quilting. And it's cool. It's this line of women where they're working with their hands on this quilt. And I, I sketched it years ago and had a couple of people say, this feels very Last Supper to me. I'll have to show you a picture How after. interesting. Because it's, they're very Is linear. it something that we could put up online? Um, it'll be finished in a few months and then yes. Okay. Oh, I have a sketch. I have a sketch. You so can we can put, put the sketch up. Yeah, yeah. I'll okay. send you that. Um, anyway, and so, and I already had this one point perspective going on with the quilt moving towards the women, the quilt is in the foreground anyway. And so, um, I thought that was really kind of cool and interesting about this. When you said people thought of it as like a last supper thing, do you have a brain trust of people that you talk to about your work? No, it's just kind of, well, okay, sure. Instagram. Like I posted a sketch on Instagram and and people just say, oh, this reminds me of this. It's amazing. Instagram is amazing. You know, I posted a sketch yesterday or a, a little snippet of a painting and um, it was, it has a theme of infertility and people said, oh, this reminds me when I lost my baby. Oh, this reminds me, mm-hmm. you know, one, one says I struggled with infertility for 17 years and people are tagging each other, you know, like, hey, I was thinking about you when I saw this, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just, so yeah, I get a lot of response and feedback over Instagram and I'm, I'm always reading it. I, you know, like I think it's interesting. I don't, I don't try to take anything too seriously, but then there's a lot of things that really resonate with me. Well, it begs, it, it, it makes me, um, makes me wonder, and this is, again, maybe the kind of curatorial, art historical eye, is that you've been able to work for, for a long time, it seems like, on, on very, in a very personal way, right? Yeah. And you'd said that you got the studio and that you have, you were used to do more of your own woodworking, but now you're busier, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that, correct me if I'm wrong, it may not just be a function of having kids and having a very busy marriage, but also that you are getting more successful and there's more demands on you being productive and more time. And I, it makes me wonder as you're going into this stage where you are becoming, your, your professional level is going to another stage of busyness. Maybe you're outsourcing the panels. Maybe you're hearing more about from people mm-hmm. who are reacting more and more to your work. How is that changing now that you're mm-hmm. becoming you're becoming more of a public figure. How does it change your art? You know, I'm sure it does on some level. I'll, I'll, the, the one thing I, I know I can speak to, maybe the rest will all be like, we'll talk about it again in a couple years, and then we'll know. <laughs> we'll, we'll schedule it now. Yeah. <laughs> two years from yeah. now. 2025, it's going to be epic. Oh, yeah, two years. Okay, we'll do okay. it sooner. So anyway, but um, one thing I can speak to is just on a personal level, like, I, like I've done a lot of counseling and that's been really helpful. So previous to that, I was very walled off. Like actually when people, if they would talk to me about paintings or they'd leave comments, I don't know why I just couldn't, I don't think I wasn't, I wasn't emotionally well. And so there was no hmm. room at the end for anybody else's stuff. Do you know what I mean? I was like, it felt toxic to me. I was like, whatever you feel about it, whatever you think about it, I don't want it. Yeah. Take it away. You know, like I was like, I got enough of my own stuff. I don't need your stuff too. Right. Interesting. So I did a lot of counseling and that's been really helpful. And it's gotten me to a place where I feel so, um, I feel comfortable with myself. I feel like I can listen to someone else's story and it doesn't about my art and it doesn't actually mean anything about me. You know, they say, this is hmm. my experience with your painting. And I say, wow, thanks for sharing your experience with my painting. <laughs> what <laughs> you know? was it that changed? What was it in the counseling that changed that oh, for you? Oh, man, that's going to be after a whole other podcast, I think. Yeah. Um, lo- and that's okay. You don't have to. You, and maybe you don't know if there was a particular moment that there made that There were so happen. many things. But that's, that's a yeah, really. I think about that. That's, a, I think, a, an essential thing yes. for anyone who's yes. involved in creative efforts yes. 
on a high level it's because huge. you're putting yourself out there yes. in the most personal way. Absolutely. And people want to participate in your art. They do. And so now I feel like I'm in a place where I can actually really celebrate like people's experiences with my painting. And it fills me up in a way that it's like, I don't, I don't need you to say this. And also, wow, like I said, what a privilege, you know, to be a part of your experience. Like I, I'm above and beyond honored. You know what I mean? And so it took a lot of work for me to get there, but I feel like I'm there. I would say 95% of the time, you know, and if not, I can work it out. But, um, and so now people, I mean, really people can, for the most part, comment and say anything they want and it really doesn't do anything for me. However, I will say they're probably, it probably does influence me on some level when I read, you know, people say, oh, wow, this is the, it's, it's information and information is, is, um, valuable, right? Mm. So for people to share information, wow, it makes me think of this or it makes me feel this or gosh, I love it. Or this feels like the last supper, you know, it's like, oh, it feels like the last supper. Wow. Interesting. I like that. You know, so if it's things, like you're playing jazz together. Yeah, cool. right. Like it's um, you know, and I I I don't think I'm just that awesome. You know what I mean? Like it's just I'm not that awesome. Like mm. so, you know, for other people to be involved, that's a great thing. If it's if it's not a, a if it's not a healthy involvement, then I need to make some changes. But Instagram is very boundaried for me in the sense that I post something and people can say whatever they want. If someone is really out of line, I, I would just delete it. I, that never happens. You know, mm. I had like a, there was like an ad, there was a spam thing yesterday, I deleted that. But people, I've never had a negative comment. People are very generous and nice and, and it's filling. It's, it's, yeah. it's community. It's, um, it's amazing. I, I, I love it. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're uh, running out of time. I want to ask just one just basically practical question, which okay. is if we want to follow you, if we want to see your work, Instagram's a place to go. Yes. You're at the Meyer Gallery in, mm-hmm. in Park City. Mm-hmm. Is there anywhere that I'm missing? Instagram is great. It's Caitlin underscore Connolly underscore. And we'll have and a link then, to that on zineartsociety.org. Yeah, you will. Okay. And CaitlinConnolly.com is a great place. I would also say join my email list. Um, I'm just starting to work with an office manager and I'm going to be sending out more regular emails and I'm on Facebook. Um, you know, and as far as like showing my art physically, I usually finish just enough paintings a year that I can send them to a show here, a show here, a show there, you know? So it's a lot of times a show has one or two of my paintings. Um, and so stay in touch. I always, I always post about it on Instagram or my website or something. So. Thank you so much. It's been such a privilege. To sit thank you for having me. You. You're welcome. I would like to thank Caitlin Connolly for joining me for this episode of Mormon Visual Culture presented by the Zion Art Society. You can see the work we discussed on our website, zionartsociety.org, under the podcast tab, along with more information about Caitlin Connolly and where to see her work. For more interviews with artists, collectors, and scholars, subscribe to Mormon Visual Culture on iTunes or on our website. I'm Micah Christensen. Thank you for listening.